Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. I just love Halloween, Sherry. I know you do. How do you feel about Halloween? Oh, it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah? Yeah. Um, well, I work at a church, and I also, with that church, there's a preschool, so, like, you know, Monday is Halloween, and there are kids that go there Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there are kids that attend Monday through Friday, and then there are kids that only do Tuesday, Thursday, so we have to have Monday and Tuesday of Halloween celebrations, and I feel Uh like the weekend was already filled with... Halloween stuff. I know, isn't that great? What do you mean? That's awesome. I'm like, I'm like at my capacity. I'm at my capacity. On Friday, I was watching the morning news, the local morning news, and it had a poll, like whether or not, like when Monday is during a weekday and followed by another weekday, whether our school district should give the kids the day off. I was like, no. The day off after. Like, so November 1st. What do you think about that? Well, on Friday morning before... Of the week, and I was like, that's so dumb. But now I'm like, I don't know. I bet, I mean, we still have our youngest, he's still trying to embrace, you know, and make up for the loss to COVID Halloween. So he went, you know, he'll trick or treat with his friends. So I kind of feel like, yes, but then like he's got, you know, just he's got a busy schedule. So yeah. it would be kind of nice if he had the day off, but you know, boy, back when I was a drinker, I. You would have been like into all of those things. Like close the business. There's also a push to make the day after the Super Bowl a day off, like a federal holiday or something stupid like that. I just feel like no. I still think I would vote no because I feel like the kids need to stay in school consistently. It's not like I. They do have a few days off here. Here and there, days off. A few thousand days off every year. So and it's not like we're teacher bashing, but I've heard from our friends that are teachers that consistency is key. In keeping kids in sync with school, yes, and learning, so it's just another break in the in the week, and then it's like, oh, here's a bonus day. Well, then that just throws everything off. So, well, I appreciate you sharing your kind of mixed feelings on Halloween. I love Halloween. I love everything about it. And you know, it's really kind of crazy because I had some really bad Halloweens. It's kind of weird how much I love Halloween when. When I was like six, I had the coolest ever skeleton costume that you've heard me tell this story a thousand times, but it was a skin tight skeleton costume and the bones were glow in the dark and it was awesome. And then it was cold that Halloween and my mom made me wear my winter coat and I still, to this day, have not forgiven her. 43 years later, I'm still mad about that. Probably like, what are the reasons you have, Don't wear coats outside (laughs) in the cold in the winter? No, I feel like... Like, there have been years where you knew it was going to be cold and you layered up the kids underneath. Like, you would make sure that the kids had costumes I'm that like were a little I'm like a big bit... layer fan, Halloween or not. Yeah. And that's probably But it must be something why. that you brought into the relationship and parenthood that you remember that. And so our kids, most, for the most part, all of their costumes had an ability to layer underneath. Like, yes. Long John layer... So then their Halloween costume would be on the outside. That's right. You know, we've had like... It turns out it's hard for people to tell what you are when your costume is not on the outside. Yeah. It's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and then when I was a teenager, I was running around the neighborhood with my friends and we were doing terrible things like 
tormenting kids and toilet papering houses and stuff like that. And I got hit in the head with a bottle rocket. And that's when you find out who your true friends are when you get hit in the head with a bottle Did rocket. they all scatter? Yes, it knocked me out cold. And when I came to, they were nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. They were they were afraid they were going to get in trouble. So rather than... Uh, I mean, I went down like a bag of potatoes and so wasn't they were, moving. And so they, they still were scattered. You were going to get in trouble by having the bottle rockets. But leaving you for dead would not allow them any sort I, of trouble or remorse. Well, I guess dead men tell no tales. <laughs> so... I don't know. Like your parents getting figured out who you were with. But I stumbled my, you know, concussed ass home um, after that. That was, so that was rough. But, and then certainly in active addiction, I had some awful Halloweens. But I still love Halloween. I don't know, I don't know why I've bounced back so much. It's like, it's, it's like my, it, you know, part of it is that it's, it's like the gateway to the holiday season. It's the first of a series because I love Thanksgiving too. And even though it's overly commercialized and stressful and expensive, I love Christmas too. I've never really been much into New Year's, which is, I think, a little odd since I used to be a huge drinker. But New Year's never really did much to me. But yeah, Halloween's like the gateway to the holiday season. The gateway to hell for some people. And, uh, <laughs> the holiday yeah, season. That's right. You know, speaking of the gateway to hell, last year at this time, we recorded an episode. Uh, Untoxicated Podcast Episode 111, should be easy to remember, titled The Haunting Memories of Alcoholic Halloweens. And that episode is all about relapse. It's about drinking vodka and ruining a kid's holiday. It's about drunk driving and some really, you know, scary drunk driving. Um, It's about trauma and navigating and trying to just get through for you um it's a very emotional episode and and sad episode and so this year for our halloween episode we did decided not to repeat that because it already exists so if that's where you are if you're struggling if if you're the drinker or the loved one of the drinker and you're in that trauma right now and you're listening to this um, right at Halloween time, and you can really resonate and get a lot out of it. We encourage you to listen to episode 111. But what we're going to talk about today, again, not to repeat that same episode, we're going to talk about the positive side, what what this holiday has turned into for me and where we are. Um, so yeah, th- this, this episode is different. Um, I am really, I'm astonished by how much fun I'm having, you know, sober fun that I never really thought possible. When I first quit drinking, Sherry, when I was in early sobriety, I thought it's got to happen. Sobriety is my future. It's, it's here. It's now. It's what's going to, you know, I was determined, but I was also determined or convinced that it was the end of that euphoric kind of fun for me. And so that was a sacrifice that I was willing to make to gain the benefits of sobriety, like not wrecking my marriage and not hurting my children anymore and not destroying my finances and stuff like that. So I looked at fun as a sacrifice. And I've got to tell you, well, the first year or two of sobriety, I was sacrificing a lot of fun. That was miserable. It's very difficult to get through early sobriety. Your neurotransmitters aren't firing properly and there's not a lot of joy or contentment, or peace, or laughter, or happiness in your life, and that was really, really hard, but 
it's all back, baby. I feel great. And I mean, sure, I get sad sometimes, but for the most part, I feel great and I'm having lots of fun. And I'm just, I mean, if to, to quote one of our favorite holiday movies coming up, if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more shocked than I am at how much fun I'm able to have in sobriety. Are you surprised at how much fun kind of life is now that alcohol's gone? Or were you just like, hey, dumbass, I told you this was going to happen if we if you stopped drinking? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't really thought too much about it. I never give you time to think about the questions. Yeah, well, I mean, just even as our life was unfolding, I mean, I knew that you had this, like, sort of zest for having fun and doing fun fun things, but you also have a work hard mentality. So I didn't really know where it was going to land. I was just going to try to appreciate the sobriety and that you were, after you got over the initial hump of always being a sad sack, (laughs) I'm using your words. Um, I guess I was like, well, you know, if things aren't, if like you, you love Halloween now and you dress up and you think it's fun. Okay. So if, if that didn't happen, but you still were kind of like just middle of the road about it, I think I would be okay with it. Because I would think that there's a lot of painful memories. and, um, But yeah, I just, I mean, I hoped for sure that life would be more entertaining and balanced and you would see the joy in sobriety. I didn't know how much fun. I know one of the things that we've talked about that was important for you to understand when you drank, you would get a little buzz, but you would immediately start dreading uh, the hangover tomorrow, and you could almost feel like you could you felt woozy almost or dizzy. Whereas I never felt that way. It was like all upside. It was euphoria, 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 and it was important for you and I to discuss that and for you to understand how alcohol made me feel, and for me to understand how alcohol made you feel, because one of the challenges you faced in dealing with my active addiction is why can't this guy just stop it's not that fun to begin with yeah but you eventually learned oh no this this hits him differently it's like the best feeling ever for him and you started to understand that and so so giving that up or the fear of giving that up in you know in sobriety and just assuming that i would never get it back was a really big deal. And so what I'm wondering as as it relates to your experience through this whole thing, you know, I think you understood what alcohol did for me eventually. You understood that it didn't make me just a little dizzy and make me dread a hangover the next day. Those thoughts never entered my mind. It was just this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful feeling. So I think you understood that. But did you understand that I felt like I was giving that up like, like, were you ever worried that it wouldn't come back? I'm kind of asking a similar question, but yeah. <clears throat> I dreaded that. Or I just assumed it was over. But when I was a sad sack in early sobriety and I was dealing with negative emotions and I was grumpy all the time and I was still selfish in sobriety like I was in addiction, did, did you fear that I would never snap out of that? There was some <clears throat> fear for sure. I... And I wondered how well you would be able to regulate your emotions. And you do come from a family that deals with some depression and anxiety. So I was a little nervous that 
that wouldn't really balance itself and you are not one that likes to take medication. So I thought, oh my God, now this is just going to be a whole other battle of saying, okay, well, now this is really where you land on the scope. So maybe you do need to take anti-anxiety or antidepressants. So I knew that that would just be another a battle. And I thought, oh gosh, him trying to regulate and manage it all himself or naturopath type, you know, if it didn't, if it didn't balance out and didn't get better, which for you it did because the drinking just exaggerated those emotions you were having. And, um, so that was, I think that honestly was one of my biggest fears. Well, and, and it was definitely a long-term process. You had to just kind of wait and see what was going to happen. It's not like you get sober and then, oh, you maybe have a rough week and then, What's this finished product look like? Yeah. After a week of cooking. Yeah, and it was it's, it's a year plus and, and it was trial and error and it was you know like, oh, well how can I approach him about a topic that might have thrown him off the edge or upset him before and how does he deal? And I still was like trying to gauge your emotions and trying to read you. Um I felt like I had to kind of test it I tried to avoid it I think probably in the first you know several months probably nine months I mean because that was where your breaking point was one time wasn't after nine months of sobriety went back to drinking yeah so well I didn't know any better then I didn't yeah I didn't know that if I had just made it a little further the neurotransmitters would start firing properly yeah so I probably waited you know a good 10 months before I really kind of dipped my toe into it but then I had to say god you can't you can't just sit in this little bubble in a way. I mean, mm. I know you were in your own little hell, but I kind of had to test the waters a little bit with things to see how you would react. I guess the point of this kind of sub-conversation is, you know, if, if you're new at this, we're going to talk about some, some joyful experiences and, and how good things are going right now. And if you're in your first year of sobriety or even your first couple of years of sobriety, you know, you can't expect miracles. It takes a long time. So um, our encouragement would be just hang on, keep keep doing the work of sobriety, of recovery, and uh, it can it can get great. Because we are, we're just finishing the sixth year of my sobriety. So, and every year has been better than the one prior. I can say that without exception without question every year has been better than the one before so i just anticipate that that's gonna keep going until i just explode in a puff of <laughs> cotton candy somewhere 30 years from now just just unicorn farts and cotton candy everywhere and that'll be the end of me oh, cotton candy. boy it just kept getting better till it couldn't get any better and that's what he is so Let's talk about how great this month has been. Because when I think of Halloween, some people think of October 31st. I think of the whole month of October. I love this holiday. So it started on October 2nd, which was a Sunday. I went to church dressed as a witch. I get to do the children's sermon at our church because once you are the children's month. director. <laughs> Only once a I month. I get to do it once a month, and it's usually the first Sunday of the month. And so there I was. And everyone was looking at me funny, but I thought it was going to be my only chance to dress up in church, which most people don't equate dressing up in church 
And even when you hear me say that, I get to dress up in church. Most people don't think that that's a privilege to get to. When you think of dressing up in church, you're thinking of putting on your Sunday vest. But I got to dress like a witch, which was so awesome. And that was fun. And uh, and then, so then the, the Halloween movie fest started. But let's just go back. So you got to, he dressed up and then gave the children's message. And it was, it was very much tying in with your costume. Yeah, I don't you, remember what it was about. You spun it. I don't remember either. But you, you spun it and it wasn't just about Halloween and candy and Reese's peanut butter oh, no. cups and all that, you know. But it was just... I, tie it into, I can tie anything into God. You can tie anything into God. I had a good teacher on that. Uh, our old Pastor Shar used to, to say everything reminded her of God or Jesus. This reminds so. me of God. Yeah. Yeah. And But yes. So, so I learned you, from her. You oh. do very, very well in in being um Yeah, my children's boisterous. message is normally directed at the parents because I know the kids aren't mostly understanding what I'm saying anyway. Um, so I'm trying to get a dig into the parents um, in a cutesy kid-like way, uh, and just tying it into God somehow. Yeah. It's, so uh, it good. sounds way more complex than it is. Yes. But I got to wear my witch costume, which my is... witch costume. I got to it first this year. Pretty excited about that. Then the Halloween movie fest started, and I love the actual, the series Halloween. I, I love it. I love it so much. It is... Anything but a series. You know how, like, all the Star Wars movies, they try to tie them all together and they kind of make sense sequentially, even when they put one, you know, a prequel and they throw one in. It still ties into the story. The Halloween movies does anything but that. It's, it's, it's like each movie they were like, um, let's not do any research about what the other movies were about. And other than the main character who doesn't even appear in Halloween 3, it's not even about Michael Myers' Halloween 3. But so it's it's one of the reasons I love it so much is it's such a cluster. I mean, it is a nonsensical cluster of Halloween slasher terror. Um, and what's really cool is it was, uh, you know, the streaming service that we use to watch those movies. They were all recorded on like AMC or. Freeform, yeah. Freeform so, or Paramount. So they were, yeah, so they were. So they were like TV-14, so. Yes. No curse words. You know, the Halloween Cute movies, usually there's some teenage boobies that they didn't show any teenage boobies. There's always teenage sex. So I could watch it with my 12-year-old. How great was that? almost 13, and he is into watching the scary movies. Yeah, so we watched a lot of the Halloween movies together. The Rob Zombie ones. He did not watch. He didn't watch those. Those are a little much. You watched those on your phones with your head. Yeah, I had made because it I was not going to have any of that showing in the house yeah. anywhere. No, no big screen, no sound. But I loved, I loved doing that, and it was fun to have it be, you know, bonding with one of my sons. And the other, it was one. really great. We watched The Shining yeah. together as a family. Yeah, because the oldest one was down from college, and everybody was home. That was that really weekend. great. We watched American Werewolf in London with our fifteen-year-old, which. Upon further review, was a questionable parenting that decision. That was not an AMC version? That was not. That, that was full was not, rated R. Yeah. I hadn't seen it. I don't think I'd ever seen it. And you hadn't seen it in a long time. Oh, it had been a long time. So we forgot about a couple of scenes. The best, by far, was... <laughs> it's an important scene toward the end of the movie. And, like, all the dead zombie creatures are there telling the protagonist what's going on. and they're, But they're in 
a movie theater in Piccadilly Circus, and it's a porn movie theater. Yeah, it's a triple X adult movie theater with the soundtrack to pornography. Well, and that's, that's the important part, right? They flash to the screen a couple of times, so you do see boobies a couple of times. But, you know, that's that's not the... The, the tormenting part for our son is that it's the porn sounds in the background while they're having this conversation. Yeah. Oh, that I wonder was if we a can get poor parenting choice. I wonder if we can get arrested for talking. Maybe we should delete this part out. I'm not sure. If... I don't know. I know he wishes we could get arrested for. He stared at the seal. He was had his head covered. With I mean, pillows and let's be honest. I'm 49 years old, and I can't watch a television or movie sex scene in the room with my parents. Yeah. And I'm 49, and. He sat there and he stared at the ceiling and he's almost sixteen. Covered his ears. I bet he wishes that we could get arrested and we would never have to yeah. make him view any subjective thing. But at I, least it's something it'll else. It'll be he can six months before he agrees to watch a movie with us again, at least. Yeah. And it'll be his choice if he ever does. It'll give him something to talk to his therapist about. Well, and it gave us it's given us something to talk about quite a bit because he's told all of his siblings how horrible we are as parents and so it, <laughs> He was the only one home that night too. Like so, we're like Joseph. Let's watch this. It's rated R, and we can watch it because there, it's nothing really bad. We just thought it was blood and gore. Rated I thought it was R. blood. I didn't even think it was that bloody because I don't watch those things, so I didn't even think it was that bloody. But even though it was a parenting disaster, it turned out like I said, there's some positive there because we've all laughed about it. And it's been a big joke in the family, and um, I think what there's. The, the next one is American Werewolf in Paris or something. I don't think we're going to talk him into watching yeah, no. the sequel with us. I and do then, highly recommend IMBD for gauging the movies ooh, when you review good tip. parental review. Good tip. I didn't know that. Because <laughs> we did that for The Nightmare on Elm Street when we tried to watch that with the fourteen, almost 12-year-old. Good tip. Um, almost 13-year-old. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what any of their ages are. I get easily confused. But my favorite part of our Halloween movie fest has got to be the movies that you and I watch together, just the two of us, Sherry. (laughs) The ones that are really right up your your alley for scariness. We watched Hocus Pocus, both number one and the new version, Hocus Pocus 2, and it was great. I I know... uh, uh, slasher movies or psychological thrillers—they're just not really your cup of tea. So well, I was—you gotta I love Bette Midler. I mean, yeah, yeah. I went out there on a limb with The Shining, and I tried another. I know you me. do. You do try. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, but two. Are we four thumbs up for Hocus Pocus one and two? <laughs> yes. All right, great. It's enough about our movie stuff. Um, let's continue with how the month has gone. Now we're we're in. Halloween weekend now, and Friday night dancing in costume at the place where we take swing dance lessons. Super fun. The fall festival on Saturday at the church in costume. Super fun. Lots of kids running around, giving out candy, chili cook-off. Good time. Good time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Pumpkin uh, carving on Sunday because that was the only pumpkin time carving that we on could Sunday. Do it. Well, and you can't pre-carve pumpkins, at least not where we live in Denver, because the squirrels are pretty much in charge of the neighborhood. Yeah, they are um, fearless. They come right up on our porch and torment our cats when they're out there. Our cats are they, pretty wimpy, 
But they break into cars and steal food. <laughs> no, well, if they can, yeah, I did they have a get... squirrel. I had food, peanut butter based food product, in the glove box of my Jeep, and right, locked in no the top. glove box. And I thought in the glove box it would be safe, but they figured out how to get in the back, like climb up for where your feet go up into the back side of the glove box and they did get in there. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe that. Yeah. And just brazen. Like when I came out, he was still sitting there on the seat looking at me like, what are you going to do? Flipping you off eating the peanut yeah. butter bar. <laughs> they are brazen. Um, but so, yeah, so we can't carve our pumpkins until kind of the last minute unless you want to haul them inside every day yeah. and, you know, be, be extra. Some people put plastic over them. Some people put chili powder or cayenne pepper on them. Mm-hmm. And those, it's dry here, so they shrivel up. Those squirrels good, don't so, care. They're yeah. tough squirrels around here. So, uh, yeah, pumpkin carving on Sunday. Super, super fun. Um, and then I got to wear my witch costume at church again on Sunday because <laughs> uh, I do the children's sermon once a month, but I have a conflict for next Sunday. And so I had to move my... And I was going to move it out to like mid-November, but I thought... <gasps> If I trade with Sherry and I do the last Sunday in October, I get to dress up at church twice. So that was that was really awesome. You know, church is not really a costume party. Even when Halloween is on a Monday, or even if Halloween had been on a Sunday, um, people just don't dress up to go to church. No. Not at our church. We're Methodist. I don't know. Well, I don't think, you know, I think... We're just not a particularly... Party and denomination, I well, guess. I don't think that you really associate church and Halloween together. Yeah, much. So there is. In, in a, fact, it's probably because it's kind of a pagan holiday that's yeah, very secular. It's pretty cool of the Methodist that I'm allowed to. I was going to say, I think you should be very feeling pretty privileged, and that Good we point. do a fall festival that includes costumes. Yeah, but we don't do like scare and gore. But then sometimes the youth group have had a haunted, haunted maze or things. So we try to incorporate all the fun. So church is definitely not a costume party. Um, But here is an important part. When we go back to that, what's different in sobriety versus active addiction, what's different in long-term sobriety versus early sobriety, I loved every minute of being dressed up both times in church. I just had a ball. I didn't, you know, it, it didn't make me feel uncomfortable that I was the only one. Back when I was drinking, I was very worried about appearances. I was worried about what other people think. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you spend so much time hiding. You're hiding how much you drink. You're hiding the turmoil that alcohol is causing in your relationship. And you don't want anyone to see anything but your best foot forward because you're afraid they'll get to the truth. The truth about your overconsumption you know, the truth about the chaos that you're drinking is creating for your family. But when you're not creating chaos and turmoil and trauma in the background for your family, a wonderful thing happens. You're not trying to hide your, your true appearance from anyone, and you just really don't give a shit what anybody thinks about you. I never, you know, we talk about how I was worried that the euphoria was gone forever. One thing that I never anticipated about long-term sobriety is how much I would stop caring what other people think. It's really, I mean... Well, 
It's really amazing. So when you were talking about that, it made me think, like, when I go back to the times when you were drinking, and we had, you know, we had social engagements sometimes and parties to go to where we dressed up. You always, we always did kind of a couple's costume, like Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. And ironically, I was the Big Bad Wolf, even though you're very hairy. Um, you were Red Riding Hood, like Cheese and Mouse. I remember Cheese and Mouse. I don't remember Red Riding Hood. When was that? A long um, time ago? Yeah. 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 Cheese and Mouse was good. Yeah. So, I mean, we did couples costume. Then one yeah. time we did a whole family costume. Oh. Like the original monster kind of things. And you were Dr. Frankenstein and the youngest was um, Frankenstein's monster. So, so but yeah, maybe that was like... That was, I want to say real quick, that was my favorite year. And there is a picture of the kids in the, in their costumes from that monster year on our website on our blog post from a week ago. Um, yeah. So check it out, soberandunashamed.com. They are, they, we had a werewolf, a Frankenstein's monster, a Dracula. And a zombie. And a zombie. And, they, and they're and they the... Zombie teenager. What I love about that picture is they are the perfect Halloween age. Yeah. The oldest is at the edge of trick-or-treating, but she still liked it, and the youngest could keep up. Yeah. So they that is the perfect Halloween age. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I wonder, like, if subconsciously you were like, I can dress up and have fun as long as I do it in sync with somebody, so then it doesn't look so awkward. Because then the last several years when oh, we've dressed up, you've been totally independent. And I don't think that's. Nothing. I don't think that's subconscious. I mean, yes, I think couples' costumes are cute and great, but it was absolutely a security blanket for me back then. I was not bold or brave enough to dress up on my own. Um, and do my own thing. It was absolutely, you know, I thought of it as unmanly necessarily to be like, if you've got a couple, okay, a man and a wife and only one of them is going to dress up, you would assume that would be the mom. Cause she's more nurturing and more caring for the children and more creative and crafty. Right. So you would assume that the mom would dress up and, and the dad would either would, which would be fine or wouldn't, which also would be fine. But the idea that I'm dressing up and I don't give a shit if you're dressing up or not, that would have, oh yeah, I could not have done that back when I was so self-conscious and my self-esteem was so low and I was worried about what people thought all the time. I would think that they would think I was some kind of a freak show, which they probably do. They do. But I don't care that they do. I don't care. I like to see people look at me and have an uncomfortable look on their face like... (laughs) What's what's coming at me here? I love that. <laughs> love it. But back then, no. Because I was afraid they would get to the truth. I mean, that we, we've talked a lot about this. That, that ties into why the lawn was always neatly manicured and the house was always picked up. You know, in case somebody dropped by. We didn't want anyone to see any signs of chaos because maybe they'd know the truth. Maybe they would understand the damage alcohol was causing. But now the house is a mess and... My weed whacker broke in like mid-July and I never I never bothered to deal with it. <laughs> um, so the lawn's kind of been a mess this summer. But I mean, you took you you gave me a look like you're taking offense to the house. It's not like dirty. It's there's just shit everywhere. There's half done <laughs> projects and not always. Okay. Okay. I guess you clean up before my parents come at Christmas. And uh, yeah, I I try to help. 
But anyway, uh, yeah, I just don't give a shit what people think about me anymore. And it is such... So so what is it like for you? It's a relief for me, but are you concerned? Like, what is this lunatic going to do next? Does it... Do I embarrass you now? <laughs> You're trying to hold back some laughter. You can laugh. Um... I do still think, what is this lunatic going to do next? But not necessarily with the negative connotation, which it used to. I'm always like... You know, when alcohol way. was involved, you were yeah. probably legitimately scared. Yeah. This is always like, oh, God, what is that crazy dude got up his sleeve? In a fun, playful way. Now, since you work at the church, I know when I take that microphone... I get always nervous. You worry about losing your job a little I bit. I don't think I would lose my job. I mean, you got enough job security now. But, but early I do on, get a little nervous when you take the microphone, because one of your things is you do like to get a little over to the edge of um, of the topic. But yeah, I like to watch. I about, like to watch our head minister squirm a little. Yeah, um, I've I've dropped that actually. That used to be. I used to try to say things that I thought would make her squirm, but I've actually given up on that. Yeah. So when but when you're like when you were pulling together the witch costume. Yeah. You know. Were you afraid I was going to pat a bra or something and go no, all out? No, no. I just went, oh my God, you're seriously just going to dress like a witch on, what, like to October 1st or 2nd, whatever it was. I was like, it's not even anywhere near Halloween. And then, you know, I'm sure you had some questions in Sunday school about, so when do we get the candy? The kids were very confused. Um, you know, I just, I, in a fun way, I'm like, what is he going to do next? I remember what I did. It was treats from Je- treats from Jesus. Yeah. And so they got Bible they got, scripture. They got slips, but they were into it. They were into it. So yeah, hey. instead of candy, you get a message from. <laughs> oh my god! So I always like I do get like you know in a fun way. I would have wrapped that in dog poop and lit it on fire and put it on my own front porch if I was a little kid receiving that. <laughs> You're dressed up for Halloween. Where's the candy, witch guy? Well, yeah, that is, it is a little fun and scary. Um, I also, the week, the month prior, I gave the kids unpopped popcorn (laughs) as a treat. I'm kind of an asshole. (laughs) But I loved looking at the look on their face. Do you guys want some popcorn? (laughs) And then I poured poured it into cups and they could hear the kernels hitting the box. Oh, if only this was TV instead of radio. That was fun. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, yeah, I mean, and you were doing this children's sermon when you were drinking and knew sober. So I guess it was a little heavier. Now I can just laugh because I know that there isn't like shame and. Well, I'm not going to cross that line, right? Yeah. And you, you understand where, you, you know. Where there is a line. You have more awareness of self-awareness. That's the problem with alcohol. Not even alcoholism. That's not even the problem. That's the problem with alcohol. The, you, you lose track of where the line is. Yeah. I don't I certainly like there was ever any... crossed the line lots of times when I was no. drinking. Yeah. I mean, if you were still drinking this morning when you checked the fluids in my car, you would have probably called the dealership that did the oil change and that was supposed to top off all the fluids. Instead of just researching what kind of coolant I needed, you would have called them, bitched them out, maybe even drove over there to bitch them out. To get the to get your half a cup of free, cup free of, coolant yeah. poured into the reservoir. But, you know, because you don't know where the line is. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about those types of incidences like I used to. But they're always like, you got a wild hair and it can be a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it is often said that sobriety is boring. Um, and I would just throw back, you know, if you, if you listen to the details of the things we're talking about, they might not sound like that much fun to you. Watching American Werewolf in, Par in London with a 15-year-old to watch him squirm, that might not sound like fun for you. Watching Hocus Pocus 1 and 2 with your wife or dressing like a witch to go to church, you might be like, whatever, loser. Um, and that's probably how I would have reacted back when I was still drinking because I thought all the fun was in the drinking. Like, yes, it was, there was um, trauma and there were arguments and there were wounds to lick and there were terrible times and there were bad decisions made. But that was the, I thought for some time, I thought that's the price you pay for all this fun I get to have, mm -hmm. which I mostly couldn't remember anyway. So yeah, do you go over the line in bad ways, but also go over the line in fun ways, like breaking into a pool that's closed after hours with friends and having a good time? Yeah. And I don't do that anymore, right? I don't do things that could potentially get me arrested anymore. And so am I missing out? I mean... I guess, but the mundane things that we do do, I just find a lot more joy in them than I would have before. I never would have had so much fun dressing up a church and looking at people looking at me. Mm -hmm. um, that would have been boring sounding to me as a drinker, but it's so much fun. So sobriety gets the, you know, um, reputation or or the image of it being boring but I don't know do we sound bored maybe maybe we're finding joy in places that aren't aren't all that exciting but I don't think it's boring at all let's go through that same month had I been still drinking Sherry I would have had no balls for dressing up like a witch on October 2nd in church I would have been worried about what people thought and I have no idea what the children's sermon would have been about, but it would not have been about treats from Jesus in place of candy, because I would not have had the nerve to dress up. All those movies that we talked about, I would have passed out during all of those, because movies always went really well with an IPA or something <laughs> or else to drink. Twenty minutes. Yeah, I mean. For that whole couple of decades when I was drinking and we were... I mean, did I ever complete a movie? I mean, I'd say rarely. Helpful. Yeah. So it's that's one of the great things about sobriety, watching an entire movie and doing it over and over again. It's pretty great. So I would have passed out during all those movies. Um, I would have been the only one drunk at the Friday night dance lesson and, you know, dance party that we went to, uh, where, by the way, swing dancers just don't drink. They're just not a population that values alcohol. And so uh, I would have been at this party and I would have been the only one that was drunk and acting like a buffoon. So that, want to stand out like a sore thumb, be a bad dancer and be drunk. That's a really good way to do it. Um, I would have looked at the fall festival at church as drudgery. I, I would have thought that that was, ugh, I gotta go help. an hour and a half into your drinking time. Yeah, your there's college football time. to watch. There's drinking to be done. I would have been, I would have had resentment for you that I got dragged there. You're the one that works here. Why do I have to help? But instead, I really enjoy the fall festival. I enjoy the chili. I enjoy the kids. I enjoy dressing up like a witch. So fall festival's awesome. Um, 
Halloween night. If you want to know what Halloween night would have looked like, you should listen to Intoxicated Podcast episode 111, Haunting Memories of Alcoholic Halloweens that we recorded last year. Probably would have... I'm sorry to interrupt. Please. You probably would have told our youngest, who wants a trick-or-treat in the neighborhood where his school is, and it's just the next neighborhood over, but there are people you don't know, and you probably would have said no. Yeah. Because you're not going over there to get him, you know... Yeah. When he was done and take him, I'd, bring him back. I had a lot of paranoia as a side effect yeah. of my alcohol. Yeah. You'd be like, I don't know these kids. I don't know the neighborhood. You know. Yep. We're going to go to our same stomping grounds where we know what we're getting into. Yep. You know, I looked this up, Sherry. I actually did some research for this episode. I can tell. The last time Halloween was on a Monday was 2016. And that was that last awful Halloween, the last time I drank on Halloween, just a couple of months before the beginning of my permanent sobriety. Yes. We argued over the weekend. I have no idea what about. I doubt you even remember specifically what it was about. But I felt bad enough and I drank enough on Sunday that I woke up on Monday and I started drinking vodka. Toward the end of my active addiction, this was a pattern that I would, you know, it wasn't certainly not even close to weekly, but when things got bad... Um, I would wake up on Monday and it was just too much for me and I would start drinking vodka. And we talk about it, I think, a fair bit on episode 111. So if you want details, you can go back. But, you know, the, the Halloween being on a Monday, I think, I I don't think I'll be, I will have been alone in treating it like a three-day weekend only Monday, it's not really, it's not a federal holiday, so there's a lot of people who are actually going to have to work on Monday, and that Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, before Halloween Monday, is going to get to be a pretty depressing time for people who are still in active addiction, and there are going to be some people that behave the way I did, and get up on Monday, and they can't do it. They're emotionally incapable of facing the day, and they'll start drinking, and I really feel for those people. I have a tremendous amount of empathy for them. And um, I'm here to say six years later, the next time, six years because of leap year, right? Fell in there somewhere. The next time that Halloween fell on, it falls on a Monday is six years after uh, that most terrible of Halloweens for me. And I, I mean, it couldn't be more different. Couldn't have written a script that was more different this Monday Halloween versus last Monday Halloween. Is that how you feel about it? Yeah. Yep. I certainly do. Thanks for all that insight, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of criticism for talking too much on this podcast. Well, sometimes I've got to. There's there's no other choice. Um, so let's let's transition. Let's finish off by talking about the holidays in general. We talked about how Halloween is a gateway to the holiday season. If this is your first time going through the holidays sober, my number one piece of advice for you is just get through it. Throw away any idea that you have that it's going to be glorious because you're sober, that it's going to be better, that you're going to be more engaged with your kids and the rest of your family, and that it's going to be magical in some way. It's going to suck. And that's okay, because getting through the holidays sober the first time, even the second time... 
to a lesser degree the third time, is all about preparing for a much, much better holiday season for the rest of your life. you got to lay the groundwork. Like, I, this is my sixth consecutive sober Halloween, and I'm telling you how awesome this month has been. This didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen in, you know, Halloween of 2017 or 2018 or 2019. It doesn't happen quickly, but it's great. But you got to understand that it's going to take a long time to get there. So not talking specifically about Halloween anymore, talking about the holidays that were that were, you know, right at the beginning of right now. If if you're new to this sobriety thing, just get through it. Um, some tips that we can share about just getting through it. Avoid socializing, if at all possible. Socializing is two things. It's triggering. It makes you want to drink because everyone else around you is drinking. But it's also just tormenting. It make, you, know, you feel like the oddball out. You feel like the weirdo because you don't have a drink in your hand. And socializing in early sobriety is, is just terrible. Do you remember what it was like? The first uh, first couple of times through the holiday period and when we had, you know, we tried to avoid social things, but there's a few things that we had to go to, like probably, I don't remember, but your church staff Christmas party we probably went to, everyone else is drinking there. Do you remember what that was like, being the partner of an alcoholic and that's in early sobriety? Well, it, with that example, it was really nice because one of the parties you ended up trying to toss a Christmas ornament that was a white elephant Christmas ornament exchange to someone who missed it, and then it went crashing and broke all over the fireplace. Oh, yeah. So I was a little relieved that then it was like, look, he's not drinking. Yeah. I oh, mean, if I had been drinking, I would have been mortified that I had done that. I was still pretty mortified, though. No, you... Didn't you toss it when you were drinking still? Mm, I thought it was when I was... I thought I that was early sobriety. I think that... I don't know. I don't no. remember. I misunderstood you. Yeah. Sounds like something I would do when I was drinking. Yeah, but um, whatever. So you were just, so in early sobriety, you were relieved that I I wasn't going to do that. I was relieved, yeah. I see what you're saying. Whether you were like mopey and over in the corner, I knew that, I knew that you would never like be rude and hateful. You wouldn't sit there with your arms crossed, not saying anything to anybody because that's not who you are. That's not, not at all in your fiber. Yeah. So I didn't ever have to worry about that where I know some people that have a spouse in sobriety that are not in recovery might have to worry about you had, that. You had to worry about when I was drinking that I would say something inappropriate. Yeah. So you had relief knowing so I had that I wouldn't relief. say something inappropriate. Yeah, so I had relief that you weren't drinking, that it wasn't going to be the lot. We weren't the last people there. I wasn't cleaning up extra messes, you know, and feeling embarrassed and apologizing for your I behavior. But I also knew that I didn't have to worry about you being a complete ass out in public. Yeah. You would get home and maybe be mopey. And yeah. um, and I can deal with that because I had to deal with all kinds of shit behind closed doors when you were drinking. Right. So for me, it was a bit of a relief. Um, and I had already kind of cut out some of our socializing. Mm-hmm. I said no to a lot of things in your last few years of drinking that you didn't even know that we were invited to. So then when we just didn't socialize that much, it was better. The hardest thing, I think, was your parents when they came here for Christmas because we had had a tradition of mimosas and they still wanted to kind of hold that tradition. And then we ended up doing something completely different on Christmas morning that made it so the mimosas and on, and doing your stockings weren't possible. It is like we prepared for this episode, Sherry, because that was on my list of things to talk about. A tip 
for people who are in early sobriety going through the holidays, change up those traditions. The, I, can, I can give two contrasting examples. We have for, I don't know, a long time now, at least two decades, we have smoked a turkey on Thanksgiving on the Weber Grill outside. That has been our tradition. And we stuck through that tradition even when I was in early sobriety. And it was very difficult for me to stand out there by the grill. I mean, the person who taught me how to do this in the recipe of turkey smoking was the exact number of charcoals to have on each side of the turkey, the number of hours it was going to take, how open the vent should be, and how many beers should be in the igloo cooler that you bring with you <laughs> next to the grill. I remember the guy explaining it to me. He was dead serious because his mother-in-law would come to Thanksgiving and he wanted to be, he was in Chicago, and he wanted to be outside. He didn't want to have to go in the house where his mother-in-law was. So he brought the precise number of beers outside in a cooler so he wouldn't have to even go into the kitchen. But he was the not calculating the sailless amount of consumption. No, I was like, I doubled what he suggested. Yeah. But the point is, this there was, a was an ingrained drinking. tradition that's directly tied to drinking. And it would have been a smarter move for me the first couple of years of sobriety to throw that damn turkey in the oven and say, you know what, we'll get back to smoking it later. But I, I just wasn't, I didn't have enough confidence that it would get better. I thought it's always going to suck. It's going to suck this year. There'll never be euphoria again. So I just got to grin and bear it and get through it. And so it was very difficult to get through our traditional Thanksgiving traditions. Um, and yes, I recognize I just used the word tradition twice. But that was really hard. Christmas, like you said, thank you for bringing that up. We changed some things. We changed, we we do this volunteering thing with our nonprofit on Christmas morning now. And it's great because it it is different. It's not the same. And it really cut out the time that we used to spend drinking mimosas. So you're absolutely right. Um. And that's huge. So Christmas just feels different. It feels, and now it feels normal to do the sober things that we do. It doesn't feel like um, I'm I'm the odd man out. It doesn't feel like we're stretching what we are supposed to be doing into something a little different because somebody's an alcoholic. It doesn't feel like that at all. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is just what we do now. Yeah. So I just strongly recommend to anyone who's in their first few years going through the sobriety, find those traditions and see what you can change. And if it's something you really love and you don't want to change it, know you can come back to it. Like, you know, here's a great example. If if you have the means, do one of those tropical holiday things. Go to, I don't know, go to Mexico for Christmas and, and sit on the beach. And I know you're thinking, oh, no, I like, I like snow and I like pine trees and I like, I like a traditional... Well, do that next year or the year after. Do something different and give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. Now, don't go to an all-inclusive where everyone's going to be drinking on the beach. That would be stupid. Go to, Get your own desert island. Just really go all out. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do something. But, uh, but try to change the tradition as much as you can in early sobriety. So that's a big one. Being prepared is also a big one. Have an exit plan. Um... If, if you are going to be in social situations, which are really so hard to avoid at the holidays, you know, you got work things that you just can't say no to, stuff like that, family stuff that you can't say no to. Make sure you're not the designated driver. Make sure you're not responsible for getting other people home. Drive yourself or yourself and just your family. And if, if it gets overwhelming, 
Duck out. I know a story about someone who climbed out a bathroom window once because they didn't even want to say goodbye to the host of the party. You got to do what you got to do. Just protect your sobriety and have an exit plan. Have a strategy. Have a plan for what you're going to say to people. You might go into a social setting thinking, I'm tough. I'm going to tell people I'm not drinking anymore. And then you get there and it doesn't feel right. And I know many, many people, myself included, who have caved in that situation and started drinking. Have a half a dozen excuses in your pocket, even when they're little white lies. Uh, I'm on antibiotics and I can't drink. I have to make a run to the airport later and pick up an uncle, so I can't drink. Um, I have a work presentation early in the morning. I am doing a one-month sober cleanse, and I need to see what that does to my uh, blood pressure. Just anything you can think of, have that in your back pocket. I think it's great if you have the emotional and mental fortitude to tell people, I'm not drinking anymore because it's not good for me. I mean, that's what I say now, right? But in early sobriety, it's hard, hard, hard to say that, especially when you're around a bunch of people that know you as a drinker. So plan to say that, but if you get in the situation and you just can't have a backup plan. That makes sense to you, Sherry, as a non-drinker? I know these are the kinds of things that you're like, I don't know why you just don't tell people you don't drink because it doesn't register for you, right? Correct, but I think that having a backup plan is a good idea. I like that. Having your own festive drinks is a good way to go as well. It sucks if you're in a situation where the host or the bar you're in or whatever is just really alcohol-focused and they really have nothing to offer for non-drinkers. If you don't want to stand around and drink warm tap water, uh, have a... Festive drink of your own. Yeah. This, this, honestly, this is advice that I could not follow in early sobriety. So I want to, I want to say that Uh, I thought of festive beverages as alcoholic beverages exclusively. So the idea that I would have, I don't know, that I would take soda water, put a little cranberry juice in there and, and an orange wedge. No, I would not have done that in early sobriety. I would not, I wanted to be as nondescript as possible. I also want to say that first sober New Year's that we had, you, like, we always had had the Martinelli's, you know, bubblies of, like, apple grape juice, juice or apple grape juice, juice yeah. or, you know, crayon, whatever. Comes in a champagne-looking yeah. bottle. And we always had that for the kids. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't say that we're, we're not big New Year's people. Right. And, and maybe you and I, I would get us like a little small bottle and we would do it at like nine or 10, you know, we'd pop the cork then cause we'd watch the ball drop and New York. And so 10 o'clock and the kids would go We're to bed. We're such partiers. We're we such watch party Anderson Cooper movies. and what's his name? Yeah. Oh God. Those are awful. Dawn. Oh geez. You just got drunker and drunker in New Orleans that one year. We got, we turned it off. Like we can't watch that. So that had to change Yeah. because it was just so drinking centric and yeah. watching newscasters Ever since the get American drunk. Bandstand guy retired watching TV New Year's. But like watching the them get drunk live. Dick like, Clark. Yeah. Dick Clark was Watching good. them get drunk as the night drunker as the night goes on, that's just not for us. But you were very opposed to the mocktails in your early sobriety mm-hmm. and that first year. You didn't want to have a replication. You didn't want to impress upon our kids that a celebratory mm-hmm. beverage like that. Now you have come around and I know for some people having something that mimics yeah. Your alcohol might be a trigger. It might be too hard. So 
Just it might yourself. be a trigger. It might be perpetuating the stereotype that you have right, to yes, have you this. Yes, you have to have something thing, fun and yeah. festive. So you know, it was a few years before you kind of jumped on board with having something besides, you know, soda water. You didn't drink non-alcoholic beers all the time or anything like that. But to have like a bubbly water with some cranberry in it and a sprig of rosemary with a cranberry on it, you know, now you're okay with it. Yeah, but it, it you, did take it took, a while. It took you a while to come around that, and I know that there's a lot of non-alcoholic alcohols now yeah. that really taste like it. So you have to really be careful, I think. Yeah. In early sobriety, maybe these are things that are a couple years down the road. Just yeah, there's all kinds of controversy and debate about non-alcoholic beers, non-alcoholic wines, and now yeah, spirits. They make non-alcoholic spirits, gin yeah. and non-alcoholic. Tequila. Tequila. Vodka, yeah. I haven't tasted most of that, but it could be triggering. It could be perpetuating the stereotype. Or it could feel right. It could feel right. So you got to gauge that yourself. Um, but just, yeah, I mean, be prepared to just hold on tight and get through. Because, you know, whatever your best laid plans are, the chances of it all working out the way you have figured it out in your head is pretty minimal, pretty slim. You're it's probably going to be really, really hard. So be prepared for that. Speaking of being prepared, um, insulation-wise, in our recording studio, we are again ill-prepared for the neighbor hound dog who a leaf must have fallen off the tree, and he is going to bark at that leaf for at least 45 minutes now. So good thing we're about wrapping up. We are. Um, I have gotten a lot of feedback from people, though, that the the dog is making it through on the microphone and they are like turning down the volume and looking for a dog outside their car windows while they're driving <laughs> and listening to us. So sorry. Uh, not sure what we can do about that. Um, so yeah. So avoid socializing, be prepared, change the traditions. The biggest thing that we should leave people with, if you're in early sobriety and you're going through the holidays, give yourself a ton of grace. Um, like we said, it's probably going to suck. Um, but you can't get to the point where the euphoria comes back and where the holidays are legitimately, genuinely, authentically fun until you go through the hard part. If you cave and drink and say, oh, I'll, I'll restart my sobriety in January, then guess what? You got to go through the hard part again next year at, at the holidays. So you've got to cross that bridge at one point. If you're going to get to permanent sobriety, and there is no better time than the present because you're not getting any younger. And uh, if you want the holidays if a few years from now to be just really something different and something special, then, uh, you know, got to gotta go through the, the tough part to get to the great part. Sound good? Yep. I'm going to go put on my witch costume right now. <laughs> Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.